The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Reck and Alex Wood. Welcome to Colorado Equal Security. This is the newscast for episode 139 for the week of October uh, 28th. Yeah. Alex, uh, we have a blizzard starting right now. It's hard to believe that we are almost to winter. We've seemed to skip fall. Seriously, all, yeah. All of a sudden from summer to winter. Yeah, it was, I got home, you know, I was I was in Europe last week and I, I got home and uh, yesterday it was 70 degrees outside. It yeah, was, it was beautiful. a beautiful day. And then uh, today, Sunday, it's, it's it's snowing. You know, we got a little bit of snow on the ground already. We do, and it's supposed to keep snowing and then be cold all week. Single digit temperatures, I hear. Yeah. Yeah. Not, well, that'll be fun. Yeah, great stuff. <laughs> Yay, winter. Uh, looking forward to that. Uh, you know, we do have some housekeeping stuff to go through. Uh, we have a Slack channel. If you want we to, do. if you want to join over 1,100 of our closest friends in the in the Colorado security community, you can jump out to the Colorado Equal Security Slack channel. Uh, the link to join that is on the front page of Colorado-Security.com. We also have a mailing list. So if you want to get the show notes uh, delivered to your email every week, sign up for that. Go to Colorado-Security.com. Go to the bottom. There is a link to put your email in, and uh, we will get you those show notes. Uh, and if you love the show, this would be a, a good opportunity for you to maybe uh, go into your favorite podcast player and do us a favor. There's not that we haven't had all that many reviews, you know, maybe 40 or 50 reviews. And there's like hundreds of you guys who listen every week. We'd love it if you take a minute and um, go out there and, and, and put a nice comment in the podcast listening app. That's how we find new listeners and hopefully get new folks into the Colorado security community. And if you're afraid of those public reviews where people can see what you actually did, you could just review us with a friend. Tell them how great things are. Um, tell them they should listen to the podcast, that they should join the Slack channel, get the word out. And if that's not enough, if you're thinking, I've done all that, I want to do more, we would love to have you be a part of our Patreon campaign. Uh, that is a, a opportunity for you guys to uh, to help subsidize the cost of this show. You know, Alex and I have been paying for this out of our pocket, and the Patreons have, have really helped, stepped up to do that. We appreciate you guys a lot. And of course, if there's other folks who want to help us, please do. And finally, uh, Rob and I are lazy. Uh, we We prefer not to do stuff. So if, if you would like to be someone who interviews people for our show, we would love to have interview volunteers. Um, we have quite, had quite a few of those lately. I think they've been pretty good, and we'd love to have more. Also, if you want to be someone that is interviewed, uh, you think you have a cool story to tell, please let us know. We'd, we'd love to interview you too. Uh, and, and I tell you, the experience I've had from those who have been guest interviewers have, has been you know, overwhelmingly positive. It, it gives yeah. them a chance to go meet new folks in the community. And it's really, honestly, one of my favorite parts about doing the show. Maybe my favorite part is getting to, to meet interesting folks in the community. It's just hard to find the time for, to do all of them on our own. And it's great when we can get other folks to step up and help do that. Definitely. All right, let's go ahead and move into the news. Uh, number one, if you look at the top 10 list of best cities to visit on vacation from Lonely Planet... Uh, what do you think's on there, Alex? Um, I'm going to say uh, Dubai, Rob. Uh, Dubai is on the list. Yeah, that's, hey, hey, that's, good guess. That's, that's correct. I'll tell you what's not on the list. What? Austin is not on the Austin list. Austin is not on the list. Um, San Francisco is not on the list. Um, who else is not on the list? Lots of people not on the list that are in the U.S. New York, New York City didn't make York's the list. New York's not on the list. But you know who is on the list, Rob? I do. Denver, Colorado Denver, is Colorado on the list. Is Top on the list. 10 cities to go visit on vacation. So if it wasn't bad enough for people moving here, now we're going to be inundated by all these tourists oh, coming tourists here. Oh, leave money. It's great. Yeah, I know. Um, it's great. So we did We did make number 10 on the list of top 10. Um, what they said about us is that uh, we, have, we have great... Um, Energy, uh, charming boom towns, uh, and they talk about uh, Red Rocks, craft beer, like Great Divide, uh, 
art and architecture at the Denver Art Museum. Just a few of the great things to do in Denver uh, if you're a tourist. The only other U.S. city to make the list was Washington, D.C., um, which I guess is not a surprise. It's a great place to visit if you come to the U.S. So Uh, top top of the list, Salzburg, Austria. I have never been to Salzburg. That'd be fun. Number two is D.C. Number three is Cairo. Number four is Galway, Ireland. And I want to heartily echo Galway is a fantastic place to vacation. I really loved going there. Number five is Bonn, Germany. La Paz, Bolivia. Kochi, India. Vancouver, British Columbia. Dubai uh, was number nine. And of course, Denver was number 10. Yes. Uh, Good stuff. Uh, Next, over $1 billion has flown into... Uh, venture from venture capital into front range companies this year. Yeah, we've done really well in Colorado. They they said twenty eighteen was the peak of venture investment, kind of both in Colorado and nationwide. But twenty nineteen has been really strong as well, over a billion dollars coming in, and a lot of that money is actually not coming from Colorado based VCs. Uh, no, and there's a lot of interesting stuff in the story. Um, you know, from venture capital groups to angel investors, lots of different stuff in there. The thing that I thought was the coolest is one of the graphs that is in there that shows the the funding over the years, and it's all pretty stable. It you know going up slightly, slightly, except if you go back to the year two thousand, which was right <laughs> at the height yeah. of of the tech bubble, and uh, investment at that point was like four and a half billion. Wow, way 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 above any other year. Yeah, really really interesting stuff. The I found I found this interesting, especially that they were saying in Colorado that really there wasn't any kind of venture capital scene until about 2009. That's when uh, Brad Feld and, and Techstars and Foundry Group really started to make an impact. And we've seen a lot of growth in the last decade. Yeah, uh, I think, Rob, you'll also be interested that uh, Guild Education, local startup, now has some money from Steph Curry. I did. I am, I am a. I'm a Bay Area native and I am a, a Warriors and all, and all other Bay Area sporting team fans. So go Steph. Uh, hopefully that, that we see wild success there. Wasn't Guild uh, hiring a, a CISO recently? I think that they are. We had that on the show last Ho- week. Hopefully we get to see. Uh, hopefully that person, whoever gets hired, gets to meet Steph Curry. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, moving forward, uh, we have the new list uh, from Forbes about, or actually the Denver Business Journal's uh, fastest growing private companies here in Colorado. Yeah, um, this takes into account uh, size of the company. So you've got, you know, small, medium, large, extra large, and I think you've got uh, six or seven companies that are, are growing the fastest. Um, we marked a couple here. Um, Ibotta, which we have talked about um, a number of times, they are a sort of a, a rebate coupony kind of company based here. They were number one in the large, extra large category um, with uh, revenue in excess of $93 million, and uh, PAX 8. Uh, was the number one in the large category. So congratulations to them. We did not have any um, of the known security companies on there, which yeah. is too bad. But I know, I know previously, I, th- I think it was actually the Forbes uh, fastest growing companies that we've seen quite a few security companies on in the past. So none of the security companies made this list. Remember, this is just for private companies. Um, and, and so you know maybe that's kind of part of part of the issue here too. Yeah, maybe Ping Identity would have been on that, Rob. But, I, wasn't, you know, I wasn't gonna say anything. You know. All right, moving moving ahead here, uh, we have another article from from Dish. Uh, it's actually it's actually from the Denver Business Journal, but talking about um, how Dish has made has come to agreement with the Attorney General from Colorado to get that Attorney General to drop out of a multi state lawsuit, which was seeking to um, to stop the merger between Sprint and T Mobile. It's kind of a weird thing here because there's three different companies involved. Yeah, I mean, 
so, so a little while back, um, Sprint and T-Mobile announced that they were going to uh, merge, and as part of that, um, the there's not they didn't think there was going to be enough competition anymore in the uh, the mobile industry. So they wanted to have another mobile provider, and so Dish stepped up and said, "Hey, uh, well, we'll build out a five G network, and, and we'll be that other mobile provider." So definitely good for Dish as part of this, and so they really wanted that that to happen, which is weird that you care about other two other companies merging, but uh, yeah, so it's cool that you know, they're promising about two thousand jobs here, um, going to be in Littleton at having their wireless headquarters at uh, I think Bowles and Santa Fe, the the location that they have there. So a couple couple other details here as a part of that agreement to create a new wireless provider, Dish would be taking on the prepaid plans from both T-Mobile and Sprint. So they take out a couple of different components from those companies to start the new dish. Um, and, and so there, there is a little bit of interest in the merger there. And, and there's two things that the state of Colorado got out of this agreement. Number one, they got that, that agreement that the headquarters for the new wireless provider of dish would be in Littleton, like you said, yep. number two, that, that uh, T-Mobile was going to start building out a significant statewide 5g network particularly in the rural areas. Um, so there, so not only are we going to get the, that new headquarters, we also get 5G built out in the rural rural Colorado. And if either of these companies fail to live up to their obligations, they've agreed to pay $100 million in, in a penalty. Yeah, I think there were also some provisions for, for some uh, low-cost plans from some of those providers as well. So that's another benefit to yeah. folks in Colorado. Pretty cool stuff. Uh, next, California company SnapDocs plans to bring 635 jobs to Denver. Over the next eight years, so it's not yeah. immediately. <laughs> well, don't, don't ruin the surprise. I know, Rob. right? You get, I, when I got to the part of the article where it says that they currently have thirteen people in Denver and they plan uh, to hire another sixty to eighty through twenty twenty, so yeah. it's kind of a long term strategy for them to build this team out here in town. It is, but that's still a good number. Um, glad that they're going to be bringing people here. Uh, Snapdocs actually does a, a lot of work in the financial services industry. Uh, they have a platform that that helps people do um, e closings, so that that's pretty cool. Yeah, if you have if you want to do a closing, you don't have a title person there or a uh, or a closer there. You can actually just have a notary be there instead, um, and, the, and the title person can be remote. Uh, I think in some states, pretty soon you won't even have to have uh, have that. Right now, you are still required to have uh, some of those documents wet signed. Hmm. You know, so you need to have a person there and a notary right. and stuff like that. At, at some point, there are going to be full e closings, and so that will be pretty cool too. Uh, they they are going to be hiring engineers, customer support staff, and workers in both sales and operations in this office. So really across the board, uh, well-paid positions as well. Currently, they're at a WeWork at the Wells Fargo Center, and they're looking to be in a more permanent space early next year. Uh, next, Ping Identity um, had, which I think is an annual survey of people, talking about uh, how they feel about data breaches and actions they would take um, if a company that they dealt with had a data breach. This is actually a pretty big deal. I, you know, I see a lot of survey data out there, but I'll tell you, being inside and getting to see a little bit of how the sausage is made, it was a big deal. Over 4,000 folks are surveyed, and that's distributed around the world. I think there was just over 1,000 people in the U.S. and was like 800 in the U.K. and France and Germany. And so, so really not, we're trying not to focus just on the U.S. market, try to get a broad perspective of what folks think about online brand reputation and, and how it would impact their willingness to do business with those companies going forward. Yeah, I think the big headline here is that 81% of consumers said they would stop engaging with a brand online after a data breach, which is a big number. Yeah, and I, I always wonder about these these numbers is, you know, the the reporting of what people say versus what they would do. Right. I don't think I don't think anyone would reasonably think that 81% actually would all walk away. However, you'd have I, I assume 81% who'd say, 
who take a real good look at it, right? Right. And give your competitors an opportunity to to maybe step in, and and, you, and it's, it's a weakness you probably don't want to show. A couple yeah. other. Sorry, go ahead, Alex. I was going to say I, w- I would love to see if there could be some companion uh, survey done with this. That you know, you look at companies that did have a data breach in the last year, and poll people to say, you know, hey, you know, for this company, did you change your any of your behavior with that company based on the data breach that they had? Yeah. Uh, another another data point that I actually thought was especially interesting was that um, person the sharing of personal data was really relevant to these consumers and more than half of them said that a company sharing their personal data without consent is more likely than a data breach to deter them from working with that company in the future wow that is a pretty cool and i think that stuff. goes to to showing you know a data breach is is probably not uh, an ethical failing on the part of the company it's it's you know it's hard to secure stuff right. whereas you know sharing things without consent that that's pretty much a, a lack of trust yeah definitely Anyway, interesting uh, research. I, I hope you guys will take a look at that whole report and see what you think. Uh, next, we had a story this week in TechCrunch um, about Randori, who is a uh, a partially local company here with big presence in Denver. They released their uh, their first product, Randori Recon, um, which is essentially like a uh, you know a black hat hacker in a box. Well, this one's more. So the the I think the long term is looking to become the black hat hacker in a box. This one's more like looking for where are your external points of presence and what can you find. Uh, what I love about it is is rather than you, you know your general pen test or vulnerability scan where they say give me your all IP give me all your IP addresses right you know tell me where your data centers are here they say give me the e- an email address for your company and let me see what I can find out on my own. Um, so that's interesting. They they say that it's not desirable or useful for the for their red team to have any any knowledge about the company's defenses. They want to figure it out as if they're a black hat. Yeah. Um, and this is a product that they have been developing in, in conjunction with some people here locally um, for a little while now. So good to see that they've got that released. Yeah, I think this is just number one. I do think that they're, they will have a follow-on product that is more like actual red team getting in to do exploits and so forth beyond just the, the, the perimeter look, searching. Uh, next, we have a, a, a blog post from Red Canary. Um, this is talking about how to detect SharePoint attacks via worker process activity. So basically, you know, using the telemetry on your endpoints to look for SharePoint attacks. Yeah, again, this is one of those uh, getting kind of deep blogs from uh, from Red Canary. I think if you're interested in getting into those details, it's definitely a good read. Um, looking at how the, the process trees work with, uh, with detecting this activity. Um, very cool stuff. So we don't spend a lot of time going through the details on these because they are very detailed. Um, I would just say for those of you listening who who run a security operations team or yourself think you might want to become a security operations person, you got to go spend some time on the Red Canary blog. They they spent an absurd amount of time documenting and capturing what bad behavior looks like. And, and it's free. They just put it out there for the world to, to make the world a better place. I think it'd be worthwhile for your teams to, to learn from this kind of information. Definitely. Uh, next, uh, Logarithm had a blog post this week talking about their newly announced uh, unlimited data plan for their SIM. I guess there's some other SIMs out there that that also claim to be unlimited, and they're they're kind of casting some shade at those other companies. Um, and they don't they don't name what companies. I, I could guess what it is, but right. there's there's a company that calls a, they say they have an unlimited plan, but it's seven figures, you know, millions of dollars uh, in order to get there, and and. You know, anything below that is never unlimited. It's all based on transactions. Right. Yeah. Uh, good on Logarithm for going this direction. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that, you know, bears out in the market if other people will follow suit. Uh, finally, we have a blog post from IntelliSecure. Uh, IntelliSecure is a, a local MSSP really focused on DLP and, and really protecting your your highest 
criticality uh, data, um, they're, they're talking about the, the closing the cybersecurity skills gap. And this is something that they've revisited from 2017, which I actually think we covered on the show back then as well. I'm sure we did. Uh, a couple of things that they mentioned as part of this, uh, be prepared to be a mentor, uh, pro provide the opportunity for folks to learn, um, and then show a career path, right? So if you're uh, the idea here is if, if you're pulling in um, younger, inexperienced folks, you're going to have to put in the time to make sure that they get up to where they need to be. All right. That is it for the news this week. Let's move over to the Slack message of the week. Big thanks to Andre Gato. We love Andre. Uh, appreciate all his support for the show. Andre has been uh, sponsoring the Slack message of the week for the last couple of years. And on this, we recognize one person who commented in the Slack channel that we thought was worth calling out and they get to pick one free item from the Colorado Equal Security Store. And this week's winner was Rick Hill. Uh, Rick recommended Ray Dalio's principles in career discussions. Yeah, it was a good conversation talking about uh, principles and the, the kind of idea of radical in, ra radical honesty. If you haven't either listened to a podcast with Ray Dalio or read the book, uh, I think you're missing out. So I'm not saying you can use all of it because it is right. a really big culture change to get to that point, to using his ideas, but it's a, a good ideas. And I personally was interested in that. Awesome. Uh, so... Uh, Rick will get a an item from the Colorado Equal Security Store, um, courtesy of Andre. So thanks again. All right, let's move over to the uh, events calendar. As a reminder, on the website, we do have a calendar of events. Uh, go out there, click on, on the left on security events. You can see what's going on for the next six months or so. We, we just filled that up in the last couple of weeks. Um, before we jump into the next two weeks, I just want to do a call out to Alex and I doing a keynote. Um, at Secure World Denver on Wednesday morning. We're going to be doing a live version of this podcast, which, you know, I'm going to knock on wood. If uh, if all goes well, uh, we'll be able to run that that podcast next week on this show. Exactly. Um, and we'll do a little bit of news and a little bit of discussion. And then we'll have uh, Dale Drew, who is the CSO for Zayo, uh, as our feature guest. Yeah, looking forward to that. Uh, as Rob mentioned, Secure World is this week, the 29th and 30th. Um, so you should go check that out. We will be doing the keynote. Um, I'm also moderating a panel on uh, on the 30th in the afternoon on uh, privacy, so that should be exciting as well. All right. Uh, moving forward into the other events over the next two weeks, Prologis is hosting a China cybersecurity discussion on the 29th. SecureSet is doing a, their speaker series, Intro to Software Security with Tremaine Island on the 29th. On the 30th, IAPP KnowledgeNet is doing a CCPA, that's the California Consumer Protection Act, updates and top 10 things companies should focus on to comply. On the 1st, uh, Colorado Springs Cybersecurity is doing their first Friday event down there. Also on the 1st, there is one of these trainings from SANS, is it SANS SEC 504? Uh, Mike Harris is doing it. I think you maybe know more about this than I do. Yeah, so this is uh, one of their mentor courses. So uh, Mike Harris is the, the person doing that. This is the, the first of several weeks of that. They're doing those on Fridays. Um, on the 6th of November, we have the 2019 Apex Awards. This is the Colorado Technology Association's annual event. Starting three years ago, we got a CISO of the Year uh, award included into this program. And the finalists for CISO of the Year this year are Debbie Blythe, the CISO for the state of Colorado, James Carter, CISO for Logarithm, and our own Alex Wood, the CISO for Pulte Financial Services. Pretty excited about it. Looking forward to the award ceremony. Um, my money is on Debbie. Uh, next on the seventh Splunk is doing their first Thursdays at top golf. Um, also on the seventh, the CSA, the cloud security Alliance is doing their fall summit. That's a full day event for those who aren't aware. They do a good job with this event. Lots of good learning. Recommend you, you take a look and, and try and make it over there. 
On the ninth, Secure Set is doing their extended capture of the flag, beginner and professional. I, I don't have the event in front of me, but I think it was like 12 to 2 versus their normal evening uh, events. So they, this is a little bit of a different setup. So you take, take a look at that. And make sure you don't just show up at 6 o'clock like you, like you do for most secure, event, secure Set events. That is it for events. Let's go ahead and jump over to jobs. Uh, top of the list, we have Velocity Global hiring an information security manager. Uh, CenturyLink is looking for a lead security architect. Bank of America continues with their epic hiring spree here in Colorado. They're hiring a secure advice, excuse me, secure usability architect. I thought that one was uh, pretty interesting looking. Uh, PDC Energy is looking for a senior information security engineer. Charter is hiring a security engineer, a tier three SOC analyst. Uh, the U.S. Department of the Interior is looking for an IT cybersecurity specialist. I'm not going to read the, uh, the job read code it. there. Uh, uh, the GS2210-14 uh, RF-DH. Yeah, I, I really only like the 2210-13, so the, the 14 is not going to not going to do it no, for I me. I prefer 15. I'm guessing that's a level, yeah. so I, I'd rather be a little higher. Uh, Denver International Airport is hiring a lead information security auditor. Nice. Grant Thornton is looking for a risk advisory uh, controls senior associate. Shutterstock is hiring a penetration tester. And PwC is looking for a cybersecurity and privacy associate. All right, that is it for the newscast this week. Alex, we have uh, one of our, once again we have Ty Burke doing a uh, uh, interview for us as a guest interviewer, and he sat down with a friend of ours from a couple of years ago, Patrick Walsh. Patrick right. is the uh, CEO of Iron Core Labs. It's been a couple of years, and Iron Core Labs has made some changes, and I'm looking forward to hearing about those changes. As am I. All right. Well, that is it for this week. Uh, hopefully, we'll see you guys at Secure World. Please come say hello to us on Wednesday. Uh, like I said, Alex and I will be doing the keynote to kick off the day. Uh, Alex, are you going to be there much, most of the day Wednesday? I should be there pretty much all day Wednesday. Cool. I'll be. I'll just be around the keynote, so come say hi to me either before or after. Um, and then if, if we don't see you there, we'll see you guys again next week. Sounds good. Thanks, Rob. This is David McGuire, uh, Director of IT Security at QEP Resources. This is Colorado Equals Security. For Colorado security professionals, by Colorado security professionals. Welcome to Colorado Equal Security. I'm uh, Ty Burke here with Patrick Walsh. Patrick is the CEO and co-founder of Iron Core Labs. Great to have you here, Patrick. Hey, thanks for having me. You're, uh, you're a repeat guest, so I'm sure a lot of the listeners are going to be interested to hear um, you know, kind of what you guys have been up to since you last came on. Um, and we're, we're excited to dig into that. Uh, for starters, tell us a little bit about who you are, um, you know, for those who may not have been subscribers a couple of years ago, um, uh, who you are, you know, what your family's like, a little bit about yourself and sure. start there. Well, so, uh, my background, I've spent a lot of time in security, uh, um, starting off with things like antivirus and intrusion prevention research. Um, and then, uh, and then I moved in enterprise SaaS software, spent a number of years there. And Iron Core actually, in many ways, is sort of the convergence of that for me. It's like where uh, security and enterprise software meet, um, and ultimately, what I think is lacking in in that space. Mm -hmm. Tell us about Iron Core. Um, you know about the business, about the product, as much as you can there. Yeah, so we're a data privacy framework, which means that uh, we help people get control of the data that they hold in their applications, and then. Uh, potentially give that control to their customers if they want to. Um, we so uh, we basically help them help developers to protect and manage the sensitive data that they hold. Um, 
as a security company, we're kind of unusual versus most security companies because we sell mostly into engineering groups versus selling to like classic security buyers in IT and so forth. Mm-hmm. Our, our fundamental philosophy is that the, um, as much magic stuff as you can sprinkle around your network, you can only do so much if you don't have secure and well-behaved apps. And mm-hmm. so at the end of the day, you know, fix the app, fix the data, fix the problem. Okay, okay, cool. Um, so I want to dig into a bunch of different stuff. Uh, so you last came on the show, what was it, August 21st, episode 29, now we're in episode I don't know, 140 or something like that. Um, this is 2017, so a little over two years ago. Um, Outside of work, what's happened? Give me something that's you know exciting that's happened to you. Have you met anybody famous? Have you uh, had any crazy incidents or anything like that? Uh, nothing crazy. Uh, I have a three-year-old at home now, so uh, <laughs> that's 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 its own set of crazy, really. <laughs> and then uh, I did go to Iceland. That was pretty cool. I'm uh, I dabble in photography now and then when I get a chance, and, oh, yeah. and that's a pretty pretty amazing place to go to do that. What, uh, what time of year did you go to that? It was fall. Okay. Um, so right around kind of this time of year, but last year. Okay. Uh, it was, it was gorgeous. I wish I could have spent more time there and taken more photos. Yeah. <laughs> was that, were you there for a long time? No. So we did one of these things. We were actually on our way to Europe and we did it on Iceland air and they have a, uh, a thing where you can basically lay over in Iceland for free. So you, you know, in our case, we were going to Denmark. We spent a few days in Iceland on the way out, Okay. which was a great deal. I wish we had spent more time there. Okay. I feel like, uh, although it should be the case, uh, founders, co-founders that I speak with don't take, you know, don't get a chance to, and then they admit it to take, you know, week or two week long vacations at any point in, in the, you know, scale up growth stage. It's really, so good for really you. hard. <laughs> yeah. 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 I need to figure out better ways to do that more. Yeah. It's, it's tough when you're, founders wear lots and lots of hats and it's, it's hard if, if you don't have good, uh to set those down it worked out really well actually so it's it, it was encouraging yeah to do again how do you find time uh you mentioned your three-year-old uh i've got a son turning three in two weeks uh so i'm kind of in the same boat but but how do you manage your time i mean um you know if no one else was around you could probably be working you know sun up to sundown and on the weekends too uh, and maybe you want to do that sometimes over the weekends <laughs> but you know you've also got domestic duties uh how do you balance that yeah, I mean, it's interesting. It's kind of my tendency. You're right. If there's no one else around, I'd probably just work yeah. all the time it's, it's for better and worse, right? Because right. uh, it, it's a forcing function for me, actually. It's really, it's it's probably very healthy, actually, for me to, to have that. So I make a point of getting home for dinner every night, every night that I can, if I'm not traveling. And, mm-hmm. and uh, spending time with my daughter. And then, you know, it's, it's for me, it's like, okay, I press pause on work for a couple hours every day from like, six to eight yeah. and then I get back on the computer and try and chase down all the things I didn't get done during the day. Yeah. Yeah. I've found that if I can just turn my phone off or just put my phone like in a different room or something, it just makes those three hours with my kids like just so much better. Yeah. And I'm not stressed about whatever stupid email I can get through, you know, I've really focused on, uh, so it's like my whole, my whole life from a work perspective is screen time. Right. Yeah. And, I, yeah. and, and it's really bad when you find yourself like at the playground with the kid and then you're looking at your phone or whatever. And so I, I've been been forcing myself to, to push that aside and not do that. Yeah. And it's 
I actually picked up the Rubik's Cube oh, as, nice. a, as a way, because I get bored, right? And, and uh, especially, you know, she's playing on the playground. I'm just sitting there. What, what do you do? You look at Twitter or whatever, some stupid thing that isn't really a good use of your time. But, you know, and so uh, that's my, that's my like fidget spinner uh, now is that. It's a way to... And you also avoid the judgment of other parents at the playground. Look at that guy on his phone. What should be looking at his kid or something? Probably. <laughs> Said, what a weirdo. He's like... So in the, um, in the two plus years since, uh, since you last came on the show, um, talk to us a little bit about the evolution of the business. So um, you were in pilot mode back then. Uh, you had a couple of customers. You, know, you were kind of ready to launch later, later that year, 2017. Um, what's happened since then in terms of, um, you know, what you can share around uh, the product and or the market? Um, you know, obviously I think you guys have raised some money since then. Um, tell us a little about, you know, just the evolution of, of Iron Core since then. Sure. Yeah. 2017, we had, uh, I think when we talked to you, we had just graduated from Techstars and, uh, we had just released some, at least beta, um, products, I think when we talked to you and we were kind of getting out into the market, um, it's changed a lot for us, actually. It, it hasn't, it hasn't, right? The mission hasn't changed. What we're doing hasn't changed. But we've learned an awful lot about the market and uh, things from there. So, like, for example, um, we put out a product that was really kind of SMB targeted. So people could just self-serve, sign up, start using it. And, you know, that worked okay. But we learned a lot about basically small businesses are not our target, for sure. Right. Not startup, Not other startups, not, you know... Plain and simple, less sophisticated companies are not good targets for us. We basically become wholly an enterprise-focused company, and that's that's where the sophisticated security buyers are in general, and that's that's the where we've seen success. Mm-hmm. So even to the extent that we do talk to and work with mid-sized companies, it's almost always because there's a there's an enterprise that's pushing them hard on doing better on their data security, their privacy, its mm-hmm. requirements, etc. Okay. How are you guys um, typically going to market right now? Like, uh, is it direct? Is it through through partners? or? So channel, you know, I don't know that there's a play for us for channel partners. Really? Yeah. It's, it, it, again, you know, it's a little bit unusual in that most channels sell into security organizations and into IT. Um, I don't know of good channels. Maybe, maybe someone will tell me that I'm wrong, um, that sell into engineering groups. So no, we do, we are very direct, and in fact, our marketing approach is very, very, uh, extremely targeted. You know, we pick companies we want to go after. We pick the specific titles we're looking for in those companies, and then to those people, hopefully, we're everywhere, and to everyone else, they probably never see us. Mm-hmm. And so, um, it's very, very directed, very hyper-targeted enterprise sale process that we run, and in terms of opening that up. And um, you know, it's interesting. So you guys are are selling to developers who are notorious for not wanting to be sold to, right? You mentioned the self-service piece. Um, so is that, is that, uh, does it look like, um, you know, pushing content or a blog or something to kind of get the developers saying, wow, these guys actually know what they're talking about. You know, kind of almost creating a little bit of you know, brand awareness, uh, maybe demand gen, if you want to call it that on the marketing side. Um, and then from there, allowing them to kind of get, you know, into the product, onto the website, um, and that's when I guess the magic probably happens for you guys. I mean, yeah, but we, so interestingly, content marketing is definitely the best thing for developers. And if you are talking to technical people, you really need to have your white papers or your other like, you know, 
there needs to be meat on the bone. Or, or the way I usually think of it is, it's really frustrating. People will, especially venture capitalists, will sometimes ask us, "What do you, what, you know, how are you like similar to company X?" And it'll be a company I've never heard of before. Mm-hmm. And so we're like, "Well, hang on, let me go look." And I'll, I'll spend ten minutes on a website and still have no idea what they're actually doing, right? Mm-hmm. Because <laughs> the security space is so full of companies that are like all smoke and no fire, right? You get, or it's at least really hard to find the fire if there is any. And and so, uh, but if you're selling engineers, you can't get away with that. Mm-hmm. Like you got to be mostly fire and very little smoke, or else you're gonna bounce them pretty fast. We don't typically sell to your average developer, though. That's a mistake we made early on, is thinking that your average developer would be really interested. Your average developer is not sophisticated, and it's not even their concern. It's not the thing that they're thinking about. It's really the the architects, um, security architects, or just general enterprise architects, software architects. Those are our people. They're they're the people, they're the ones who get it. They're the ones who are looking for solutions like us. Mm -hmm. Um, They need the data privacy toolkit that they can plug into their stuff, because their job is to figure out all those like this, those itties, like the, the scalability, the reliability, the maintainability, the security, right? And and their job is to figure out how the enterprise software gets built so that those things aren't screwed up in the process. And and so they're 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 the ideal they're our target. We you know, we talk to architects, that's our favorite. Mm-hmm. We also talk to engineering leaders and product management um, leadership, mm-hmm. but but at the end of the day the architects are the people that are um, real core folks yep. that makes sense that makes sense um so as you guys have grown when did you when did you kind of when was day one of iron core or? 2015 so we were we were founded in 2015 we were kind of in a research phase largely at that point yeah. you know so we we spent a bunch of time um testing testing ideas against the markets figuring out how to solve some of the hard problems mm-hmm. so in that time um you know, business has obviously grown, um, and there's probably that this is kind of a question more for the entrepreneurs out there, but uh, who are probably building something great and, and may know that something ahead is going to uh, affect their business, but they're not quite sure how. And so, so in in the time that uh, you guys have been up and running, um, you know, if you look back at your 2015 self, and it's not that long ago, but I'm sure for you it's probably seemed like decades. Uh, uh, you know, what are some of the things that, that have happened or affected your business that, uh, you know, you, you never could have anticipated? Maybe it was, you know, obviously, GDPR probably played a decent role. Um, uh, any other kind of government regulation, um, you know, anything that, that you just, you, you know, you couldn't have, you couldn't have forced, you know, saw that it was going to happen. I mean, I think, so GDPR and CCPA, are big tailwinds for us. They matter a lot. You know, I, I, I described a, us as a data privacy framework and mm-hmm. not as a data security framework, although we're effectively both. Um, you know, it's because the driver for what we do is more about privacy, or at least privacy laws, than it is about security and fear of breaches. Like that, for some reason, the fear story talking about Capital One or the latest idiocy in the market, right, is is mostly noise that people kind of don't act on meaningfully. But privacy is this big tidal wave that's coming over the tops of people's heads that they need to get ahead of. And that's where a lot of drivers are. And for one thing, it turned personally identifiable information, PII, into a sensitive class of data. Mm -hmm. So before it was like health data and financial data and everyone else kind of skated. Now anyone that holds personal information is like right there with the healthcare companies and the fintechs, right? They're, They're like, um, 
you don't get to skate anymore on this this idea of oh well I just don't hold that type right. of data. So so that's the tidal wave that's like propelling things in many ways. Um, we did, you know, so uh, when I started Iron Core, I left Oracle and I, I ran a pretty big division on the engineering side there. And the thing that's interesting is even at that scale, you get beat up a lot by your enterprise customers about who can see my data, who's looking at it, what about your DBAs, what, you know, there's all these open questions. And that was even in 2015, right? It's gotten a lot worse since then. So one learning we had, you know, we, the market has been maturing. It's been really evolving over the last couple of years. So for example, two years ago, one of our um, hypotheses was that customer managed keys was a thing. That is this idea that uh, in a, if, if, you're gonna, if you're a big enterprise and you're gonna buy from a SaaS provider, you can ask for your data to be encrypted and you hold the keys to your data, mm -hmm. or at least the master key to it. And, um, and we had seen a lot of demand for that or requests for that happening. And so we thought, wow, this is an easy application of our technology. Right. Um, we had a real hard time moving that needle two years ago. And if you fast forward to this year, it's, it's like that market is radically developed. So it's gone from customers, big enterprises asking for it to big customers saying, no, seriously, um, you do that or we're not going to renew. And that's a, wow. that's a significant forcing function that's helpful to us. So this, this thing like, you know, Salesforce has done it, Box has done it, Slack most recently did it. They called it enterprise key management. Um, and there's tools in the market for the enterprises to, to manage their keys that are, that are customer managed keys, but there aren't really tools for the SaaS providers to, to provide this feature. So that's something that we're, you know, we're really loving right now. You know, it's really good for our business. The, um, the, the customer managed keys trend is like, single sign-on was 10 years ago when that started to become an enterprise requirement for enterprise SaaS software. Mm -hmm. looks very similar to that. Okay. Um, uh, on the data privacy side, um, are, are most of your customers domestic? Are they overseas as well? I would say they're all multinational. Okay. I, I'll, I'll stop there. But um, <laughs> how, how do other markets, particularly Europe, um, I don't know, view your product? How do those conversations go versus versus some of the, you know, quote-unquote buyers or customers who might be here in the United States? It's really similar. Yeah? I mean, um, you'd think it would be different. There's certainly more of a bent towards privacy, at least um, sort of as a, as a, as a um, philosophy in Europe. Right. But it isn't about, you know, oh, I want my own personal privacy. This is about like, hey, okay, we now, you know, company X, we have an obligation to understand how our, how this data is being used, where and by whom, and we're giving it to these third parties, or we're giving it to third parties, or we're giving it to third parties. You know, how do we get our arms around that? Right. And there's there's IT checklists that are a mile long and other, other kinds of things, but ultimately, the, at the end of the day, they're trying to get the control back so that they actually have, you know, independent audit trails mm -hmm. accesses of their data, for example, right? That's that's probably the biggest thing that customer managed keys gives them at the end of the day is that. That and the ability to revoke access to that data if, if their partner turns up in the news for some reason, right? It's like uh, it's like Cambridge Analytica a little bit, right? It, it, it isn't, it isn't because it's a business situation. But if you think about that, the most interesting thing with the big F and Cambridge Analytica is um, that they wrote a letter 
to these guys and said, hey, please delete that data. And then they sent them a questionnaire and they said, hey, did you delete that data? And those guys said, yep. And then a little while later, this whistleblower comes out and goes, Nope. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Well, they didn't have control of that data, right? They handed it out and then it was gone. Okay. That's the problem. Okay. Um, now, going back to um, the fundraising side. So, um, what's that been like for you? Um, you know, you as an entrepreneur, um, I know, I think the last podcast, you started a business in college, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, it's not your first go here. But, um, but fundraising, you know, t- speaking to either angel investors or VCs or whomever it might be, um, it, what, what's that been like for you? And, and again, there's, there's inevitably folks listening to this who, who have that idea and they're thinking about it um, and maybe they're not comfortable, you know, getting outside themselves or, or networking or whatever it may be. Um, but how, how has that process been for you guys? It's gone pretty well. You know, we, we've raised a little over $3 million to date, um, mostly from regional institutional VCs, mm-hmm. a couple of angels in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, you know, we found that it's a very supportive community. Um, I think some of the lessons learned are, I guess I have a lot of lessons learned, actually. Um, I'll give you two. One of them is, if you're a security company, don't start a slide deck that talks about all the breaches that happen. Because every security company to most investors who aren't really savvy in this space sounds the same. It's, exactly it's the same the problem same. statement. Yeah, it's the same right. solution statement. Right, it's the, right. And so uh, I'd say, you know, if you're talking about Equifax in the first 30-year deck or maybe anywhere, you probably are yeah. screwed up. You just sound like an amateur, you, too. You it's it's loving fruit. Over. It's easy. Yeah. So I wouldn't do that. The other thing I would say as, as my kind of probably highest tip is, if you're pitching a VC the first time you're meeting them, you're probably you're probably doing it wrong. I mean, if you have to, that's what you do. But um, you know, by and large, I think at least in my experience, investors don't like to bet on people they just met and they don't know anything about. And it, regardless of how good your pitch is, mm-hmm. and so you know, it's their job to know what's going on in the startup community. They'll take a coffee with you. Don't put like leave your slides in your backpack. Don't pull them out, don't do a full pitch. In fact, say it's not a pitch. Ask them what they think, what you think they might need for, sorry, what you need mm-hmm. from their perspective in terms of what it would take to be fundable, stuff like that. You start a relationship and they start to watch you and see progress and see you hit those things. Highly likely they invest in you then. So like if we look at our investors and the people that pulled that trigger, any significant check was from people who basically have been watching us for a little while. Mm-hmm. So that would be my my thing. And when we look, looking forward to future fundraising, you know, the VC thing is like crack. Once you go down that path, it's hard to get off it. And, <laughs> you know, um, so, uh, you know, in, into the future, that's, that's something that's on my mind is how to build relationships with sort of the next level of investor ahead of asking them for money when it, when it's not like hand, hand out, right? Yeah. Before that time. So it's, it's almost like a, it's almost like a large enterprise sale, right? Like you're not going <laughs> to pick up the phone and say, Hey, I got this great idea, you know? Here's what it costs, blah blah blah. Uh, it's a little bit about building the relationship and and you know, obviously putting some some meat behind your offering, but also uh, making sure that you stay visible to the right you know investor at the right time. Um, so it's much more of like a relationship sell than it is like a. I don't mean sell, but but you, you understand where well, I'm no, going. Well, no, of course this. it's a sale. I mean you you you, and yeah, you're right. I mean if you're thinking about it as like a. SMB sale where it's a turnkey and someone's just going to cut you right. a check. It's wrong. If you're right. looking at that as something that's going to take a year or, or something to develop, mm-hmm. 
And it's very much like an enterprise sale. And, it, and actually, it's interesting because there's, in the VC world, like the enterprise sales world, there's a lot of stakeholders, some, many of whom are quasi-invisible. You know, it's, it's really interesting to figure out how that works. Um, it, the better you understand it, the more you understand what's happening behind there. For example, um, VCs will offer an offer to be helpful and say, oh, you know, who are you trying to sell to? Uh, company X. Right. Now, oh, I know, you know, put you on the phone with a buddy I know who's there. Right? That's diligence. They don't call it that, but it is, right? They're 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 looking for is that person ready to buy or not? And and their review on that is how they're making a decision, right? So that's that ends up these people that they introduce you to are stakeholders I see. that you have to sell also. Maybe that's obvious, but um, but much like an enterprise sale where you have different personas, different people that are coming at it from totally different places. And it but unlike an enterprise sale, sometimes they're throwing completely the wrong people at you. Right? They don't understand you enough. Well, no, I mean, they're like, you know, I know someone who knows something about security. You know, this isn't (laughs) necessarily your buyer or anything, right? right? And um, it's just a lack of understanding if that happens. Okay. Okay. So um, when you started the business a couple of years ago, um, as you and co founder, just the two of you, correct? Mm -hmm. Um, And now you've grown. uh, What um, we know that talent is scarce in, in you know, security community. There's tons more open jobs and there are candidates. How are you guys, and this is something um, I think every everyone who starts security, you know, company, business, division, leading, you know, any leader they struggle with uh, is number one, attracting talent, and number two, retaining them, keeping them around for longer than six, seven, eight months just because someone's going to give them a call or an email that says, hey, I've got a better job, it's going to pay a little bit more money. And so, so what are you guys doing uh, maybe internally with your culture or or um, to develop people, or you know, how are you making this a place uh, that, that people want to go to? Yeah, good question. I'll, I'll break it down because it's two, it's two different things. One is attracting talent. Um, you know, one of the things with that is, so I learned a long time ago, when, when uh, we started doing threat research stuff in antivirus, we were looking for people who knew how to do reverse engineering of, of software, right? Very specialized skill set. And we had an extremely hard time finding people in the U.S. who could do that. It turns out most of the antivirus companies are in places like Malaysia and the Philippines and Eastern Europe. And ultimately, we ended up having to open up a, an office in the Philippines to get the talent that we needed yeah. for that. Um, and that experience has stuck with me, both both in terms of how much I dislike large uh, time zone <laughs> management issues, but also in terms of like, um, if if you're if you're you know hyper local. That's good for some things, but it's bad for others, especially for recruitment. So one thing we do is we're, we're a semi-distributed company. Mm-hmm. We're, we're not too distributed time zone wise, but we're somewhat distributed. And we've built our culture around that such that, you know, people, most, a lot of interactions and questions happen on Slack and, and we do video calls with things so people don't feel left out. And it allows us to um, recruit a little more broadly, which is good. The other thing we do is we're very, very mission focused. You know, I, I, uh, it was important to me that the next company that I founded had a mission orientation to it, something that people really cared about when they join, because you can't, we're not going to compete against the salaries that Google and Amazon is throwing at engineers today, especially, right? Engineers are the problem because this, the inflation in salaries is enormous. Mm-hmm. And um, if, you, if, if you can't find people who are just bought in on sold on this idea that like, look, 
People are building software wrong. Data security is a massive problem. It's affecting all of us. It's really, you know, I don't mention Equifax and Capital One. Well, like it pisses me off when, when my data is, is breached because people aren't doing it right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it, you know, it bothers me personally and it bothers most everyone who's working at Iron Core. Having that where you care is, a, is, a, is important. Like it's, it's our number one filter in hiring. Uh, and it helps with retention. How do you figure that out? Like what, what's the, what's the question or, or maybe it's a, a post interview discussion you, you all have to say this, you know, this woman really cares or she doesn't really give, you know, like well, we, we usually have, everyone does some checks on kind of passion for the space and the understanding of like, you know, do you care about privacy? Do you care about data? You know, how do you think about these things? We also do, uh, we always have at least one person do what we call the values interview. Okay. So this is the idea of, it's, it's more, more than just that. We have other values that we filter for. Like curiosity, for example, is one that we think is extremely important to someone who's going to be successful here. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we craft scenarios usually to try and test these types of things and see, you know, what do you do here? How do you do that? Mm-hmm. It's hard. It's hard to interview for that. Um, but it's kind of important to us. So keep trying. Yeah. I mean, you know, early, <laughs> early on, you got to, you can't with, 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 you know, early hires, those are pretty critical, right? So you yeah. got to make sure that, um, so many people, um, there've been so many experiments. I know Google's led a couple and, and uh, Microsoft's led a couple of, of basically <laughs> teams who, um, may not, uh, I don't know exactly what it is, but it's like teams who may not, um, work together or, or put together the best product or service or whatever it might be, but they gel like, you know, 10 times better than the next team. It's the, I mean, the, th- the, the big one is this idea that there's safety in, in uh, disagreement, right? That's the, yeah. that's some of the best. I do a lot of reading on like organizational psychology and different things, but the thing that the biggest takeaway is that um, if there's not a, a feeling of safety on a team, especially a safety to speak up and talk about things, that's, that's the ultimate killer. Yeah. yeah we, we do our best and we generally do pretty good to filter for that. In fact, some of our values have to do with people who are prepared to speak up when they think something could be better. Mm-hmm. You know, right? It's like if you're in a startup, the rate of improvement matters kind of more than your starting point by a lot. Yeah, you know? yeah, right. And so if you don't have people who are willing to challenge, um, then you're going to have a hard time. And so I think that's important. But then also there's retention. I mean, you know, there's just table stakes. So we pay... 100% of the best healthcare plan for people and their entire families. That's like, awesome. It, it's probably unusual for a startup. It's certainly unusual for a big company. And uh, we just don't mess around. It's like, look, whatever you're sacrificing to be at a startup, it's not going to be your health. It's not going to be your family, you know? And and so uh, uh, it's just a philosophy of sort of we're all in this together. We're all in the same boat. We're all rowing. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's like make sure everyone's taken care of. So that's part of how we do those things that's awesome those are those are really important things for you know a lot of reasons um are you guys hiring right now uh, we just went through a hiring round we we're we're on pause but we're always looking for good people and sure. we can hire if we find good ones so sure. um you know feel free to reach out okay um talk to us a little bit about uh here we are in colorado equal security obviously um and uh it's a it's a really healthy environment and, and ecosystem um, what in your experience, um, you know, what does kind of the outside world think of Colorado? And, and, uh, I've got the good fortune of having lived and worked in the Bay area, lived and worked in Colorado and, and, you know, being able to compare those two landscapes, obviously vastly different. Uh, but there's a lot of substance here, um, you know, across, across Colorado. Um, 
so if you're at you know a conference or, or an event or maybe it's an investor meeting or whatever it might be, what what are they saying about Colorado security? So I haven't really heard people talk specifically about the region, okay. but what I do have happen, especially so you know the two main centers of course are D.C. and San Francisco for security companies. Mm-hmm. Um, but when people learn we're from Colorado, I I very frequently hear something to the effect of, oh, you know, Red Canary is out there, or Ping Identity, or Logarithm, or, you know, they look at some of the, Swim Lane sometimes comes up, the um, folks that, that are doing well, they, they like to because highlight like that they're events. aware of other security companies, you know, generally speaking, later stage. I don't know how, how uh, the earlier stage companies are on that. But I'll say this too, you know, we get a lot of inbound interest from, from VCs and other like private equity and other kinds of things like that. And, uh, you know, there, there are people with basically theses around um, how the privacy laws are changing things and that there's a lot of opportunity there. And they're looking for folks that are figuring it out. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, um, I, <laughs> I also spent a lot of time in the Bay Area and I lived there for many years. Um, you grew up there, right? I grew up there. Um I grew up there. I spent a lot of time there. The uh, um, I don't think it's a big disadvantage to be in Colorado. I think there's there's a class of VCs who think you're nobody if you're not. But I think yeah. that's a vanishing class, to be honest with you. It just doesn't make sense. Right? You can't you can't hire and retain people meaningfully in San Francisco because it's so expensive and because they can jump so easily to the next thing. And yeah. so, like, it's a terrible financially. It's a terrible place, kind of. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of talent, but there's a flip side, and yeah. the big companies are eating it up. Yeah. Um, how are you guys, who are, well, I don't know if you can share who some of your competitors are, but like what, what is the, the you know, as, as you're out in the market, your number one. I mean, I, I love the 100% healthcare thing. That, that's really interesting. Um, but maybe on, you know, just from a business standpoint, um, who you guys are going up against and, and kind of what the value prop or differentiation is. So, um, it, what, you know, if you can answer a part of it. You know, you know we... We, so what we have is a data privacy toolkit. We have a bunch of tools that can be used in different ways inside applications to control data, depending on what you're trying to achieve. So we can, we can achieve things like, um, suppose you're a company, let's say you're a teleconferencing company and you have uh, a recorded conference calls. And maybe, maybe right after they're recorded, you do some things, you transcode them and you transcribe them and you do some things. But and after that, you're holding this data that's effectively toxic data to you, right? It's, it can only bad things can happen from this. It's probably, it's very possibly regulated information in those calls. You don't really know what's in there. It could be talking about people's health or finance or anything, right? Um, and if you, if something happens where someone gets into your, your infrastructure, that's a real, real risky thing. It's a bad luck. Bad look. Um, so, like, in that scenario, we can help people lock up that data such that their customers can access it, but they can't. Mm-hmm. Their ops people can't. They're, in some cases, it's worrisome. Like, if people have overseas ops people, they get 24-7 coverage on that on mm-hmm. uh, on uptime. Uh, that can be a problem for some customers, right? This is the type of thing where you just lock it and you say, ah, oh, we don't have any persistent access to that class of data. We have other patterns where you have access to all the data, but the customer ultimately gets access to it. The things that we're doing, we don't see anyone else doing. So we mostly compete against do-it-yourself. P- 
people who are trying to figure out how to solve these problems. Mm-hmm. They're trying to use the other tools that they have available and thinking about like, ah, can I use the Amazon's key management server to accomplish my needs? Well, probably not if you have to do per tenant encryption or, mm-hmm. you know, and it depends a lot on the details. So from, from the perspective of, of the landscape, um, we're not bumping up against people. You know, from the perspective of hiring, of course, we bump up against everyone. Yeah, right. uh, But but from the perspective of like what what we're selling today, it's it's fairly wide open. You know, it's a space we really want to own. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I mentioned we're very targeted in how we do our marketing campaigns. So yeah. the people we're targeting, maybe we hope we're everywhere. Yeah. Um, but the people we're not targeting, it's like who who again? You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's that's probably in our next phase. Yeah. Has that. has TechStars done much to help you? So you were a graduate of TechStars, um, um, and, and uh, last time you were on the show, there was, um, you know, it was a big part of, of Ironcore's identity, and, and I'm sure it still is, although it's probably evolved. What have, um, you know, kind of, what what's the relationship been like for you in the last couple of years, you know, maybe since the last uh, podcast or... Um, how are they continuing to support you? Because I think a lot of people know what Techstars is at a high level, but but they might not know kind of all the services that are offered or support or things like that, you know, throughout a company's life cycle. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, the best way to think about Techstars is is to to hold them aside for a second and and to understand that startups run on on reputation and relationships a lot. You know, it it, it constantly like kind of astounds me how those things tie back in. And Techstars is a lot about, I mean, they give you some credibility up front, but your reputation is, is on you, you know? Yeah. And, and, you know, but if you're, if you have humility, if you, if you're authentic, you know, they, and they're, and they're fans and they're fans of most of their companies, they're going to talk <laughs> to you. And there's this whole behind the scenes buzz stuff that happens, especially in the venture investing space, you know, and, and it's really hard to have visibility into that, but it's, it's happening and people hear about you and oh, I heard you're doing really good. And you're like, well, how the hell did you hear that? You know, <laughs> it's right. You know, there's this, there's this whole thing there. And, and so, um, I think Techstars is surprisingly effective at, um, at helping cus- companies in, uh, some of those kind of softer ways, but that are actually easy to discount, but, um, uh, hard to overestimate <laughs> the yeah. effectiveness of those things. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, are there like, is it, I mean, is it like a monthly or quarterly, um, you know, time frame with which you get together with them and, and they support you? Or is it like every day you're talking to them or like, what is that? No, I mean, I don't talk to tech stars, the company, right? You build relationships out of tech stars. So with mentors and with the people who manage the program and then it's sort of the cadence it's different for different of us in our class. You know, yeah. for me, it's less often, but but warm. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and with specific individuals, they do a lot of like mixers and networking events. I tend not to go to many of these. I'm highly selective about what I go to. I have a, I try to balance a um, working a lot in in a home life, and and so uh, um, as, you know, networking discussed. mixers are sort of <laughs> yeah yeah they're they're like an easy thing to drop from um, six to eight well, for that's, better that's or worse. The one, that's the one time in my day I'm at home. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And so what you know, very occasionally I go to those things. I think other people maybe get more out of uh, out of the sort of alumni networking uh, than I do. I, mm-hmm. I'm more uh, for me. It's been more about. Um, uh, I mean, I, I I think we get we we continue to get a lot of value out of it, mm-hmm. um, but it's um, it's not like. No, I'm not calling them daily or anything. Mm-hmm. What are um, the 
kind of your, your current challenges. So, uh, you know, you, you guys have grown this business um, and, um, you know, if you want to get to the next milestone, however you might define that, what, what's going to be a hard thing for you? Obviously, you know, hiring is, is always going to be near the top. Um, but what are some of the other challenges that you guys are, are anticipating uh, to kind of get to your, your next growth? growth stage or whatever, you know, however you might find that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, startups are like video games, right? It's like, ah, you beat the boss and you feel real good for a minute and then you're on a new level and you've got like all new sets of challenges, right? It's like, you know. <laughs> I beat Koopa. <laughs> yeah, Here we go. <laughs> yep, yep, and Koopa's back. So, uh, he's yeah. bigger this time. <laughs> Spits fireballs. Too. Pretty much. Yeah, so that's, that's it. I mean, it's, uh, it's just the, the, the constant struggle. You don't, you don't do a startup if you don't like struggle and, and, uh, you know, we're, we're like, I feel like we're we've really leveled up. 2019 has been a banner year for us. I think uh, 2020 is going to be really interesting. We're gonna one of the, one of our challenges is because we're a developer toolkit and an enterprise sale. We have we have timelines that work against us in a lot of ways, right? So we have um, we get tangled up in projects that yeah. it's like not not anything to you know we're a piece of a project, but we're not uh, like the timeline of the project has almost nothing to do with us. And so, hmm, interesting. Um, uh, you know, what we need to do is we just need to scale, and that that'll all balance out anyway. With that, um, you know, we've we've had like we had a lot of projects that finally landed and really hit in 2019. It was a it was a big breakout year for us. Um, we had our first profitable month in September. All right, we have that again in October. So we're congrats! Doing well. Yeah, right. That's great. <laughs> Thank you. So uh, so we're. Um, we're in good shape right now. Things are going well, but but yeah, the next the next level is how we scale it and how we um, how we challenge some of those timelines and bring them down. I think right. there's lots of things we can do, and uh, in, in kind of all areas from from our marketing side to our sales side to our to our product to to tackle those and you know got our work cut out for us. Is that um, you know this October twenty first. 2021 or 2022 you know a couple of years from now maybe we'll have you on again but um wh- where do you see you know what are you trying to have accomplished um across any of you know, deliverables whether it's fundraising whether it's you know, marketing and branding or, or headcount or uh, market penetration or um you know again just fast forwarding 24 months um you guys you you know that you will have been doing the right thing over the past 24 months if x well we have we have um a big, hairy, audacious goal, BHAG, that by 2022 will protect... BHAG. BHAG. Have you heard that before? I have not. It's, uh, I, think, I think Collins uh, coined that one. But anyway, the, uh, um, we, our, our, our five-year goal from 2017 looking forward, so to 2022, is to secure the data of 1% of the internet-connected population. Wow. And so um, that's how we'll measure, measure success in that time frame is like, have we, have we reached broad adoption where whether people know it or not we're protecting their data and we're keeping it safe and that's that's what we're measured on and you know we're we're actually already getting there it's we're, it's kind of it's kind of amazing um there's a project that should go live next year that'll bring us close to one percent we have another one that's probably towards the end of next year that'll protect the healthcare data of um every citizen in a, in a small asian nation that will that'll knock us up a little bit more so wow. we have um we're, we're, we, I think we can do it. I, uh, that's, 
that's what I, we're looking at, you know? Yeah. It sounds like you, you guys are making some good progress. Yeah. Um, what else? What else do people need to know about you, about Iron Core, about Boulder, Colorado, that, uh, that we haven't touched on? I mean, if you're not thinking about data, if you're, if you're in a tech company and you're not thinking about how you deal with that data meaningfully, not just like the old school, put it in a database, yeah, your application is going to govern who can access it. That's that's not it anymore. The world has moved. The 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 old perimeter-based, we'll secure the network thing is not it anymore. And so if you're not building for the future, you're probably making a mistake. And I'd be thinking a lot about your data, what data you hold, what data you need to hold, um, what kind of uh, trust is required and whether or not you can earn that trust from large companies and, and how you might do that. That's that's the world now and, and more so into the future. Very cool. Very cool. Well, thank you for coming on to the show, Patrick. It's, uh, it's great to hear about the success you guys are having, and uh, we look forward to more in the future. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ty. Learn more about the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com, where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado equals security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado equals security.